Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 148, Talking Turkey with Preston Pittman. And I am your host and the guy who early this morning thought that he was in a world of trouble. You see, my job every morning when the alarm clock goes off is to go down into the kitchen and turn on the coffee pot. I usually do that with my eyes closed and with no lights on. And after, oh, a good, I'd say, couple of years with no problems, this morning, in my fog of waking up, and in my blindness of not having my contacts in, and of walking around in the dark, and trying to get the coffee pot off of the dish towel, to put the lid on it, to put it in the coffee maker, to press the button on the coffee maker, I knock off something glass from the dish towel that all of the dishes from last night that did not go in the dishwasher were sitting on, and I thought I broke the coffee pot. So I am standing in the kitchen on the tile floor with my underwear on, no shoes, no shirt, no contact lenses, in the dark, surrounded by glass. And I managed to get out of there without stepping on any glass and cutting my foot, which was a good thing. And I hear the wife call to me from the top of the stairs, are you okay? To which I replied, I am, but there's going to be no coffee for you today. After one quick expletive. I hear her walk back into the bedroom, get some shoes on, and she went downstairs as I walked upstairs to get shoes on and get my contacts in, and I hear her cleaning up. Well, by the time that I had gotten down there, she pretty much had everything cleaned up, and when I walked in the kitchen, I hear the coffee maker running. So, when I walked into the kitchen, I looked at her and I said, that was not the coffee pot that I broke, obviously. What did I break? She said, oh, it was one of the glass bowls. And then she proceeded to apologize for putting the glass bowls on the edge of the dish rag, on the edge of the counter. And of course, I told her, I said, hey, it's no big deal. You didn't do that on purpose. I'm the one walking around in the dark without contacts in and with my eyes closed, trying to feel around and grab the coffee pot to put it in the coffee maker to start the coffee maker for you. So no harm, no foul. As long as you've got coffee, we're in good shape. So I dodged a bullet. I did not get a beating for breaking the coffee pot. And... My wife got to enjoy her hazelnut creamer with a splash of coffee this morning like she always gets. 
So today, we are 203 days, 10 hours, 42 minutes, and 20 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. And I'm back this week with some new original content for you guys, and I'm excited to be bringing this to you. So this past week, I went to West Point, Mississippi, and I spent a day and a half with our friend Preston Pittman with Pittman Game Calls and Long Leaf Camo. Now, Preston's been on several shows over the past three and a half years, and he is always a lot of fun to have on the show, and he enjoys sharing his passion about turkey hunting in hopes that that passion and knowledge and experience can make us all better turkey hunters. So over the course of the past several months and during a couple of discussions with Preston, about working with me on a project. We finally got some time scheduled on our calendars and we got started. Now, I can't really go into detail at this point about what Preston and I were working on. That announcement will come in the next few months. But in between our work sessions, we did talk a lot of turkey. And this week, I'm bringing you some of that turkey talk. Some of this talk was my picking Preston's brain while we were, or I should say mainly he was, cooking dinner or we were eating dinner or lunch. So the conversation is very casual. The audio at times is not the best due to background noise or low volume. The manners may or may not make mama proud. The food was excellent though. The camaraderie was fun and the info was always great. So I'm going to do a little intro into every audio clip that I'm going to play for you guys this week. And this first one is from me rolling the recorder while Preston was cooking dinner. By the way, we had steak, taters, mushrooms and onions, beanie weenies, and salad. Dinner was fantastic. And Preston loves to cook. And yeah, I benefited from that a good bit, but I did help out some. Now, I knew from other conversations that Preston has killed turkeys in a lot of states across the country. And I was curious, so I asked him. Preston, have you ever stopped to count how many states you've killed in? Because you got to be fairly close to a super slam. And now, of course, his reply led me to another question. And I'm going to play his reply and my follow-up question here. Uh, pushing the 30 mark. Like Washington, Utah, Jersey, all that little tip up in there. Right. New Hampshire, I haven't hit none of that. Since you're that close, do you have a desire to Not really. knock it out? Not no. Really. I'm 63. Well, I mean, that don't mean anything. You got, so you got 20 more years left in you. At least, at least 20 more years left in you. What are you going to do? You wake up one morning, you're 83, and you feel like you're on your deathbed, and you go, I'm four states shy of killing a turkey and all 49 that have turkeys. Oh, I've had a good life. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Uh, well, the, the thing is, you won't be lying. You would have had a good life. That is for sure. Yeah. I tell you what my true desire is. I have killed multiple <coughs> grand slams. Yep. Uh, the first person to ever kill documented a grand slam in the same year, and it ended up being a double grand slam. 
which uh, what that produced was the double grand slam of the American wild turkey. One of my first my first video. I want to go to Mexico and kill the ghouls. I want to go down to Yucatan and kill an isolated. Yeah. That's what I really want. Yeah. And, and I just that's my real desire. I'd like to finish up my world slam. Yeah. I'll kill hybrids all over the place. You know, Merriams and those hybrids are pretty cool. Rios and Merriams and Rios and Easterns. I've killed all the sub sub species. Yeah. Uh, but I still haven't killed those 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 things. So I do want to do that. I really do. I'm enjoying shooting hybrids. It's like a, they're cool. A little more bond in it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. Plus it was about 20, almost 24, and I was like 22 or something like that. So. Now that voice that you hear, that is a man by the name of Land Smathers, who works for Preston, and he helps Preston build calls in the shop. So it was great to meet Land and have him help Preston and I on this little project that we have. So you'll hear Land in these audio clips every so often. We hunted in Utah. They had Rios and Merriams at this spot. And of course, because they had Rios and Merriams, they had hybrids. And I called in the first afternoon. I actually fanned in and called in three birds in full strut. There was a Rio, a Merriam, and a hybrid. Oh, that's I killed an Eastern, a hybrid, and a Merriam in Nebraska. And the same day? Or just the same boom, trip? Boom, no joke. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been fun. And that voice you just heard there is me playing the role of Captain Obvious because obviously shooting three turkeys boom 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 would be a lot of fun and i'm sure that's something that we all would love to do at some point in time and since we got to talking about some of these other subspecies of turkeys we also got to talking about hunting in different parts of the country and land brought up a very good point it's amazing how you go out west or either up north and people just don't seem to Care. They don't care. Around here. You can't hardly find a block of land that ain't being hunted down here. And I always laugh when I hear people say, yeah, this hunting club that I'm in, nobody hunts it. Nobody turkey hunts it. We ought to go down there one morning. And I look at them and go, you mean nobody's turkey hunting it illegally? Yeah, yeah somebody's turkey hunting out there. Because I promise you, somebody's turkey hunting it. Now, from here, we got on the topic of access. And... Access is something that the NWTF is really working on right now. That's part of their goal of Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt, is to get us hunters better access to a lot of the public land out there that's available to us. And we got on the topic of hunting land in other states and how accessible it is in other states. It's much more accessible in other states than it is in Mississippi or Alabama. And here's the clip from that part of the interview. Now, when I was in Nebraska four or five years ago, they gave you, a, I call it another piece of map. You didn't call anybody, you didn't reserve anything, you just went to it. That's so strange yeah, from around here. And it, and it was private land, but I tell you this, you had to hunt it out, I tell you. Yeah. And you go to a lot of states, 
you know, you you have to get on their website and and see what's legal and what's not legal. Like New Hampshire, if land's not posted, you hunt it. Maine legally. Maine's the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know a lot of people just say, well, I'm gonna, just going to go hunt public land. Well, that's fine and dandy, but you're missing out on a good opportunity. Yeah, I've heard that a while, a lot here lately. All that it's it's state something about. Unless it's posted with signs, it's public property pretty much, as far as hunting's concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I went to Maine one year, and I couldn't do it. I was scared to death. I mean, I'm looking at a long beard that I could have killed. Easy. Going around a little island, got behind the stunt pile, mm -hmm. waiting for him to come by and kill it. I'm like, I can't do it. But just, I'm, I'm scared to death. Yeah. Crossing the fence. When we were in Utah hunting, we, me and the guy I was hunting with, Brian, had killed first afternoon, so we were done. You get one bird there and you're done. So we were riding around the next morning trying to help the other two guys that hadn't killed to find birds. We drove up and there was a flock of birds in a field right on the side of the road. And the guy that, we, that was there said, uh, Oh, we, we can hunt these birds. This land's not posted. So I start looking for a posted sign. Well, I look about 400 yards down the road, and there's a posted sign down there. I said, it's posted. Where? I said, right down there. You see that yellow sign way down there? He goes, uh-uh, that don't work. It's got to be posted like every 75 or 100 yards or something like that. I said, yeah, that sounds fishy to me, man. Uh -uh. That sounds like some BS to me. I feel funny crossing a property fence on my <laughs> own property. <laughs> That's what the guy was trying to tell us, and I'm going, I just can't do it. I understand that. I said, you don't understand. I'm in the industry. Yeah. Right. It, it ain't worth it. No. Every outdoor. Ryder would absolutely love that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so as you'll see in a few minutes, there really was no topic about turkey hunting that we didn't touch on at some point in time during our conversations. But I'd heard Preston mention just in passing really kind of how he got his start with turkey hunting and turkey calling and turkey calling championships and that led me ask the question when did you start making calls at what age 13. were you making diaphragm calls at that point primarily when did you start woodworking and making that really came on and about 15 years old okay i mean i played with some stuff you know what i mean but it's yeah. so simple and basic a piece of plate in my hand with corn cob and just collection Making diaphragm calls at the age of 13 is pretty dang impressive. Not only that, but he's making diaphragm calls and using them in calling contests, and he's winning the calling contest. So that's extremely impressive to me. Now, like I said before, there was no topic that we didn't cover about turkey hunting. And of course we had to talk about what can be the controversial topic of fanning. Well, they let him see that. 
And that was what, about 45 minutes? Yeah. 45 minute crawl? Yeah, yeah this is one minute video though of it all. The first two minutes was you, him off enough you talking him into it? Oh, there's narration on the whole. I, I, I put the camera on let it run. You can see our trail through the dew. I love doing that. That is so much fun. Blast. People talk a lot about it, but they wouldn't if they did it. Well, one down, two down. I'm on there today. That's so awesome. That is so awesome. Uh, you know... What? I'd uh, rather crawl one than I would call one. I make no bones about it. It is so much fun. People just look for a reason to complain about something. And they're going to say that's not sporting, that's not challenging. Call, crawl 600 yards on one and tell me it ain't challenging. Yeah. Jeez. Ain't no different than spotting stalking a deer. You going to tell me that's... You, and you're trying to outdo the best eyeballs, and not just one set of eyeballs either. Because no, most of the time, yeah, most of the time there's, there's more than one. And it's no more dangerous than going 70 miles an hour down the interstate with a cell phone in your hand, texting somebody, or talking on the phone to somebody. I see that crap all the time now. I'm just like, man. And the off chance that you're crawling on a turkey and some folks are stupid enough to shoot a fan, with no turkey in front of it, then, I mean, that's just luck of the draw, but I wouldn't do it on public land. Yeah. Probably, I don't see the harm in it. Just people got to have something to say about everything. As uh, people will have something to say about this video. Mm -hmm. yeah. You get a whole lot of bad. No, fortunately I don't. I want to have a couple of people. It's always people from out of the country too. It's never a manager. Really? I had, when I first got on Twitter, I had an anti-hunter tag me in some sort of a post to a couple of other antis. And I blocked them. And that's the only time that I ever had any issue of ever, out of anybody, but I'm so far down the list. Well, I'm not even that. It's just that the people that have it all the time are the people that actually respond to it. Yeah. And they get a charge out of it. Well, every time I see it, I just, like you said, block them and don't yeah. even come in mean, I got no time for that crap. So what we were talking about there is, of course, the anti-hunting trolls on social media who have nothing better than to attack those of us who are hunters using the social media platforms out there. And we know there is a bunch of them that do it, but I don't deal with a whole lot of that because I just don't have the time. And I know I'm not going to change their mind in 140 characters or less. And I'm not going to waste the oxygen on them. They're not worth it. So on the rare occasion that I run across one on social media who wants to attack me, they just get blocked. It's just that easy. Now, dinner time wasn't all business all the time. How's your steak cook, Lance? Perfect. 
Is yours well enough, Preston? You ain't even cut it yet. Got into it yet. Nope. You gonna eat it? Yeah, I'm gonna eat it. All right. I might have done a medium. Yeah, I got a medium. That ain't medium. Hmm? Medium there. There's more medium than yours. Yeah. I was afraid to leave yours on there for too much longer. I'll find that right here. I'll throw it back on there. It's good and hot. It won't take it but a couple minutes. I need it. Alright. I know mine's good, even if it is cross-contaminated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what happened there was Preston put the steaks on a cookie sheet in order to season them before they went on the grill. So once the steaks were seasoned and the grill was hot, I went out, put the steaks on the grill, and then I asked everyone after that how they like their steak cooked. Preston likes his medium. Land wanted his medium rare. And I'm a medium rare guy myself. So I bring the cookie sheet that the steaks were on back in to wash it off. And Preston said, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That cookie sheet is seasoned. It's got butter and all the seasoning from the steaks on it. I said, you're going to cross-contaminate those steaks if you do that. And he said, I don't care. I don't care. Put them on there. So I said, all right. I said, if you get me sick, though, I'm not going to be real happy. I was comfortable doing that because it was beef that we were grilling. Had it been pork or chicken, of course, that would never have happened. I would have taken them off the grill and carried them in in my bare hand if I had to. They were not going to come off of the grill onto the plate that the raw meat was on. But I'm okay with doing that with beef. So I, I went ahead and did that. I brought the cooked steaks in on the same cookie sheet. I just so happened to have undercooked Preston's steak. It was not medium. It was more medium rare than anything. It looked perfect to me, by the way. But I had to jab Preston just one more time about the cross-contamination of those steaks. So let's fast forward a little bit here to the next day at lunch where we had leftover steak sandwiches and I don't know about you guys but we didn't have a whole lot of money in my household growing up and we ate leftovers a lot of leftovers and to me there are only a handful of foods that you cook today that are not better tomorrow than they are today and a leftover steak is not one of those I love a leftover steak so leftover steak sandwich sound awesome to me for lunch so reading lunch sitting at the table and I wanted to get Preston's opinion about nest predation from a couple of critters that there's a lot of talk about right now being nest predators and just about like everything else with Preston you get more than you bargain for with him and it was no different when I asked this question of him. So here's what he had to say. How much of a predator on a turkey nest do you think crows are? More than what most people think, but not as destructive as you might think it is. I mean, I've watched crows follow hens and go to the nest and find the evidence where they pecked into the eggs. Mm -hmm. I've seen that, so I know it happens. Nothing like a coon, no. but I mean, 
I don't know if it's a worn out save, but it is amazing that we have any turkeys whatsoever. I agree with you. Everything out there, like I said, I know it's been said and said and said and said, but everything out there is trying to eat it. Everything. How much of a predator on nest do you think wild hogs are? Not as much as what most people think it is. Because I've been in too many areas where it's full of hogs and full of turkeys. Like the state of Texas? Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, wherever. I think if he comes across it, he's going to end. Mm -hmm. Or at the, uh, at least root him up. I think he's going to end. But he's not seeking them out. I think a coon hunts the nest. I think a pig is an opportunist. Mm -hmm. I like a coyote back in the day, I would argue with the biologist. And they said a coyote was of no factor whatsoever. And then when we started shooting video and the coyote population started going up, and all of a sudden I'm going, let me show you something. All of a sudden that coyote comes out, out into a pasture and hits that decoy. You're telling me they're not a factor? That is not a baby turkey. That is a full-grown turkey. When I went to Wyoming, and they had had a devastating winter, and an outfitter sent me over to talk to a farmer. And he said, my normal ground just ain't got the birds. He said, we got to die. Real bad, bad, bad winter. And I went over and started more work what we were doing. He said, yes, He said, I still got you. He said, because they wintered right here. Because mm -hmm. he had like a lot, a feed lot. We're sitting there, no cameraman that day. I was off with somebody else. We're sitting there, birds come into the feed lot. All of a sudden, here comes an eagle. Whop! It's a full grown gobbler, adult gobbler, long beard, the whole nine yards, married. The turkey's flopping, the eagle's on the ground, he's hopping around, here comes Kyle. Coyote hits the bird that the eagle just got through knocking down. Now the coyote and the eagle are fighting basically with each other. Now the eagle takes off. Now the coyote picks up the uh, turkey he's running off with it. Now the eagle hits the coyote, makes the coyote drop the turkey. I'm going, oh my God, if I'd have had a camera on all this stuff going on. Wow. That had been going on all winter long. That's amazing. So, predators as a whole need to be worked on and worked on hard. Now, that's a pretty incredible story. I have heard stories of hunters who had eagles come in and carry off their decoys. And again, what Preston said is true. These are not decoys of turkey poults. These are adult turkey decoys that these birds are attacking. So not only are the baby turkeys getting attacked from the ground and the air, but the adult turkeys are getting attacked from the ground and the air as well in a large part of the country. And personally, I happen to agree with him about predators needing to be worked on and worked on hard. It is a major part of managing our properties for wild turkeys. And no, I'm not advocating shooting avian predators of wild turkeys. But because we cannot legally shoot hawks and eagles and owls, we need to work on our 
land predators that much more. We need to be working on those coyotes and the bobcat and the foxes and the coons and the possums. And yeah, we can work on some crows too. We need to be working on those even harder to account for the avian predators of wild turkeys that we cannot legally harvest. All right, so the next clip that I have for you, and it's actually the last clip of these little interviews with Preston that I have for you guys. So I actually need to do a pretty decent job of introing this next clip of audio from when I was talking with Preston. And at some point in the conversation, we got to talking about turkey calling. Actually, several times during our conversations, we were talking about turkey calling. And Preston made the mention that if we want to make our calling more realistic when we're calling to a wild turkey, that it's a good idea to mix in some other animal calls while we're calling. Calls that a turkey likely would hear when there's a hen calling to him. That these calls are nature's way of one animal telling another animal in the same animal species that there's something going on over here. For example, you set up on a tom and you start yelping to him. Whether he responds or he doesn't respond, it doesn't really matter. But after a couple of minutes of yelps or maybe two or three or four series of yelps that you make to that turkey over a period of time, it's not unusual in nature for a crow to hear a wild turkey hen calling and come to investigate. It happens quite often, as a matter of fact. At least it does in my neck of the woods. So Preston makes a suggestion that when you're working a turkey to throw in a few crow calls here and there, that that oftentimes can let that wild turkey gobbler know that there is a live hen over there and that there is a crow over there aggravating that hen. And it's just another way to throw some realism into our calling sequence. And he promised to share a story with me of when he first kind of realized that these animal sounds, either calming animal sounds or alarming animal sounds, can actually affect our success in the wild turkey woods. And if you think about it when you listen to this story, I am sure that you can probably think of a time when something similar to this has happened to you and you've had a hunt or hunts messed up by a white-tailed deer. So Preston took this concept a little bit further, a step further, and he knows that a deer blowing can sometimes scare off a wild turkey, but there are also these other sounds like I mentioned, like a crow calling or a red bird chirping, that can let a wild turkey know that there is a live wild hen where you were set up against a tree making turkey calls. So listening to this story is pretty neat. Right. You were going to tell me a story. Uh, are we recording now? Uh-huh. Okay. What was what was the original topic? I, we're I'm, talking about mixing in these natural sounds with our calling mm. crows and well, and let, let's it, let's go a step further. You picked now. up on that. Yeah. Let's, let's. One of the first times I picked up on it was I was doing a rider hunt and it was being hosted with a point and the Mississippi River was out of its bank. So we were hunting by boat, going into the little pockets of dry ground and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Well, guess what? Everything was there. And if you know anything about uh, 
Terra Wildlife Management Services Incorporated or Willow Point. You know that there are a lot of deer there, a whole bunch of deer. It's one of the premier bow hunting places. It still is to this day. But with that being said, every time you start trying to work a turkey, here come deer, you know, scaring the birds off or making them real nervous to where they wouldn't really come on in. Right. So uh, I can't even remember what writer it was, but whoever, I said, we're going back. Tonight when we eat, I'm going home. You're about the same size I am. I'm fixing to go get something, we're fixing to kill the turkey. And the writer goes, what? I said, I'm fixing to surprise you. So I went home and I got my tools. And come the next morning, you know, probably 45 minutes before we'd been getting up, I got him up, I said, get in there, wash down with non-scented soap, act just like you're deer hunting. Um, I said, there's scent lock out here and scent lock in my bag. I said, I don't care if it gives us another minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, or whatever it may be, because nothing's 100%. But uh, the scent lock stuff is basically by cutting down the human scent. Then whenever the deer were coming in and investigating the sound, it gave us that little bit more time because they didn't smell us. Right. I wouldn't let him carry his vest. I wouldn't let him carry anything unless it had been treated, unless it had been sprayed down. We took every precaution to get rid of all the human scent. Not that the turkeys could smell, but that the deer were smelling us right. investigating the sound, yeah. and we ended up killing turkey. Pretty interesting. You know, when you were telling that, the story of, or, or the tactic of bringing in those other calls, it made me think about something that was just, and, and this will make you cringe to hear to hear this, or at least part of this, but it, it made me think of a, a time that a buddy, me and a buddy of mine were in the woods at, our, at my hunt camp, and there was a gobbler living behind one of our food plots, between the food plot and creek, big creek, and he was there, older bird, we went in there that morning, nothing but silence. No goblin on the roost, no goblin on the ground, nothing. So we, you know, slipping around through the woods, calling, trying to get him to gobble, nothing's going on. We went and just sat down and did some blind calling, nothing. Took a little nap, nothing. I look over, I said, George, it's 10, 10, 30 in the morning. I said, it just was too quiet. Let's, let's just go on back. Let's eat some breakfast, get a nap. We'll come back out in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Okay. We start walking out, and I said, let me blow the crow call one more time. I blew the crow call, crow responds. I said, I'm just going to mess with this crow. I said, you want to shoot a crow? Yeah. All right. Crow starts coming in. Well, here comes another crow. Here comes another crow. I'm start, I start wailing on this crow call. Right. I mean, I'm right. raising cane on this crow call. Here come crows from every direction, and they are raising cane. And I said, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Let's get some more crows in here. I'm blowing, I mean, I'm about to blow the reed out of this crow call. Right. I look up, and here come buzzards, and the buzzards are circling. I hear a hawk screech, and here comes a hawk in. And we have like an avian circus going on <laughs> in the trees and in the sky over right. us. And I said, get ready to shoot one of those crows. And when you do, don't shoot just one, just unload on them. He goes, okay. And I'm wailing on that crow call and all of a sudden bah! about 50 yards from us that turkey gobble <laughs> that joker was coming in to check out mm -hmm. what in the world mm -hmm. all that excitement mm -hmm. was going on and he saw all the crows and all the buzzards up there and he knew just what you were saying that okay there's a big ruckus going on over here and I've been hearing calling all morning and now I see these live animals that right. are not spooked right and 
I'm going to check this out and figure out what in the world is going on. Hey, the crows are supposed to send a real live hand. What it breaks down to. I mean, adding that, that, that mixing that in there, as it, like it said, can't hurt. God, I wish I could do a red bird. Man, I wish I could do a red bird. That, that's Old days, cool. a quail call was one of my favorite calls to do. We just ain't got a bunch of quail anymore. Yeah. And I still throw it in from time to time. Yeah. So there you have actually two tactics for next turkey season. One is, what does it really hurt to spray down with some scent eliminator? What does it really hurt to wash our clothes in scent-free detergent? What does it really hurt to bathe in unscented soap when we're about to go turkey hunting? If it helps to eliminate our scent, like Preston said, and that gives us a few more minutes or it lets a deer get 10 or 15 yards closer to us without smelling us and spooking everything in the woods as it runs off, then that's a win in my book. And of course, the second tactic is to throw in some other animal sounds with our turkey calling to add that realism. Don't overdo it. And in my story that I told, I was overdoing it. At that point in time, George and I had pretty well decided that our turkey hunt for the morning was over. And we were going to have a real quick crow shoot. Now we were having a crow shoot in the area where this turkey was living. And that's not a smart idea on our part. But fortunately for us, that didn't happen. We didn't shoot any crows. Unfortunately for us, when that turkey gobbled, I looked at George, he looked at me, both of us big-eyed, and we sat down where we were. That turkey was so close that he saw us. Had we just stood where we were and waited probably 60 seconds, one of us would have killed that turkey, or at least gotten a shot, or three shots in my case. So there's a couple of tactics for you guys to take and put in your back pocket for this coming spring and maybe even this fall. And that's it. That is all for this week's episode. But before I cut you loose, I want to do two things. First, I want to thank you for hanging in there through all of that background noise in the audio. To me, this episode is really similar to doing interviews at the NWTF convention or any of the other sports shows that I've done interviews at where there was a bunch of background noise going on. But I don't think it took away too much from the content in the episode but I do appreciate you tuning in through that with me. And the second thing that I have for you is this week's favor. So if you haven't already done so, if you would, please go to your podcast player that you're listening to this episode on and leave us a five-star rating and a review. If you learned something from today's show, then give back to the show by taking 30, 45 seconds, a minute, and leaving us a review and a five-star rating on the podcast player that you're tuning in on. And that's it. That's all that I've got for you guys this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, 
and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.